As promised, I'll do a short Q&A now, if there are questions, and then I'll start the next section. Let me, go ahead. I'm, Yes, okay. Uh, so my question, uh, I recently had a discussion with a friend of mine, and he was talking about, like, what we, we talked about uh, answer prayers. You know, does God answer every prayer? And I said, from my understanding, God does not answer every prayer. And he says, well, what about where the Bible says that Jesus said anything you ask in my name, right. the Father will answer. And how do, how do you answer that? Right. So <laughs> in uh, John 14, Jesus mm. says, anything you ask, you receive it, okay? Mm. Well, we have to read the whole Bible. Because in James chapter 5, it says, uh, you ask with wrong motives and you will not receive it. And then in 1 John chapter 5, it says, if you ask according to my will, you receive it. So I would say to give a nuanced doctrine about prayer and the effectiveness of prayer is if you ask anything it, with the right heart and motive that's according to God's will, we'll receive it. Uh, and I believe... There are even things we can ask for that even is not according to God's will. We can even talk him into it. That's what Abraham did. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right? It wouldn't be like against his will, but it might be something he wasn't planning on, I guess. So we have to have a nuanced uh, doctrine about prayer, which uh, does not include that. For example, I got a, a question just on my website. This one woman, help, help, help. My minister told me that God will heal all sickness, and I don't mm -hmm. believe it. And my minister is rebuking me for not having faith. I said, your minister doesn't know what he or she's talking about. That is not, that is not biblical. Right? Uh, but on the other hand, honest truth is, as a fellowship, we've tended a little bit more in the opposite direction to not acknowledge that Jesus actually will heal people and that, that God will answer prayers in positive and powerful ways. But some of us have that magical mentality, even in our church. Some think of God as sort of Jesus being like a magician. Hmm. All right? And that's just not the case. So where does the correct balance fall? I, you, know, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, let's work on that. Yeah? So, little experiential kind of question. I love what you said about prosperity Jesus. Mm -hmm. I experienced the unprosperity Jesus a lot more in our fellowship than the prosperity Jesus. Okay. Um, what do you mean by that? I've been a disciple for about 22 years, uh -huh. and I can remember when I was a young Christian that I was often rebuked for having a good job and having a 401k and having a comfortable lifestyle. And I can remember being judged by people because I wasn't poor and I wasn't greedy and I wasn't living, you know, at that at that level. And it didn't matter, you know, whatever benevolence I provided or whatever job coaching I could give to people. You know, I always felt there was always this air of why do you have so much? Yeah, I've got that hasn't happened lately. That was maybe us 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. I thought that's happened to you lately. Maybe. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. So you're asking what about that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, um, it was, I, I, it was you, don't see a, you don't see a whole lot of times where Jesus is saying it's so great that you have all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would say uh, the balance of our teaching the balance of our teaching should be 
uh, towards willing to give up things and to live uh, a, a lower sort of lifestyle in order for the gospel. On the other hand, you know, Abraham was wealthy, and, you know, having a good job is certainly not a problem. I mean, Jesus himself said, those of you who have wealth should use it for the kingdom. All right? And so, sure, I mean, there's, there's both sides of that question. Uh, but I would say, although I'm sad that somebody did that to you, that's, that's not right, it's not good, I, in my opinion, uh, overall, on average, we're more <clears throat> comfortable with people indulging themselves than we are with challenging people to give things up. But, you know, that's just been my overall experience. Anyway, I'm not going to deny that you had this experience, which was somebody judging you simply because you worked hard and got a good job. Okay? Well, I don't think Jesus minds that. The question is, what's it about? Right? I mean, uh, you know, are we saving so we can have a comfortable retirement? Or are we saving so that we can do even more for God when we get to that point? And a lot of people say they're saying it so they can serve God on a higher level, but I see people retiring and that ends up being not what they actually do. So I don't know. So, uh, yeah, I, I do not deny the validity, number one, first of all, that that happened to you and it was wrong. And also, I don't deny the truth that uh, we could swing in the opposite direction in the healthy ways. I don't think we're in danger of that so much anymore as maybe before as a fellowship. But <clears throat> I'm sure it even happens now. Okay? Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, brother driving up to church in a Porsche, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to struggle with that, honestly. Mm -hmm. And those, those of us who have great wealth, we need to be very, very careful in how we flash that around. Because we have some really poor people. And I'm telling you, if you go to uh, you know, a lot of countries in this world and just being a normal American, and it's like, really? You got all that stuff? Yeah. So, yes. All right, um, now, God, it doesn't say God is the father of Jesus. It says God is father, but God is son. And, you know, God is not the father of Jesus because that would mean that Jesus is the father of Jesus. So that's confusing. So do they mean that part of the Trinity that we often call father is the father of Jesus? That's not what the Bible says. It says he's father. All right? And now, I mean, it is true that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, actually. Are they talking about the virgin birth? Is that what they're talking about? Because the virgin birth mentions the role of the Holy Spirit in that. Right. Well, it's because, if I understand it correctly, when Jesus was on the cross, the other part of the Trinity that we call Father pulled back from him. That's why he said that. And Jesus, the Son, had always lived in full, awesome, amazing, intimate fellowship with his Father, 
Again, Father is a human word that's the one that we use in describing that part of the Trinity. I don't think we should anthropomorphize it so much. And maybe the Jehovah's Witnesses are trying to claim we are anthropomorphizing. Excuse me for big word. Anthropomorphizing, sorry. Where where you give a human trait to something that is not human. God does not have a hand. God does not have an elbow. God does not have hair. God is not... That, that's not a father. All right, so um, to say that, that God is the father of the son would imply that there was a time there was a father and no son. And that's, that does not, that's not biblical. So I think what this Jehovah's Witness person is trying to do is they're trying to put words in your mouth. And please do not let them do that by using fancy words. Okay. The fact that the word father and son is used does not mean that the relationship between God the father and God the son is the same as the relationship between, uh, say, your father and you as his daughter. It's not the same thing. Uh, so the Bible always uses human words because those are the kind of words we have. Right. All right? Yes. That's a, that's a really good question, yeah, though. Yeah, I, I have to say, if I heard that question, I, I might be thrown for a loop at least at first as well. But you think about it, though then it's, it's, ba- it's making an assumption that's just not true. Okay, yes? Sorry, I just had a comment about your comment um, in regards to God not having elbow hair, all that stuff. In regards to the argument of us being made in his image, is it the image of his essence? Like, what, what image? I, um, well, uh, we're in his image in that we um, are persons. We're in his image that we are able to love. Uh, or in his image that we have sovereignty, that we have choice. Or in his image in that the kinds of emotions that God feels, we feel. I believe the human brain is a God-experiencing machine, in a sense. Yes. All right. Now uh, we could debate whether you know whether Jesus, in his eternal state, has something. Like, like a physical body, we can debate that. I, I, I'm not going to get into that debate. All right, but um, God does not have chest hair. You know, <laughs> he doesn't go. He doesn't go to the bathroom. Now, Jesus took on a physical form. He took. He became um, incarnate. In, incarnate in flesh. In flesh. And, uh, and, and therefore, all these attributes that we have, he had. Um, but I don't see the Father that way. There, you know, yeah, God doesn't have you know, a, a body like ours. Okay? Yeah? I appreciate how you connected uh, Calvinism to all these various doctrines. Yeah, what, you know, you said your sources, your resources coming out, but what resources do you recommend currently that we could use to deconstruct Calvinism? Uh, okay, I'll recommend one book. It's Life in the Sun, S-O-N. Life in the Sun. S-O-N. If you go to my uh, website, if you type in Calvinism, there's like a, a 12-hour class on Calvinism oh, wow. with about 40 pages of notes and lots of references. There's a lot of material there. Another guy, F. Lagarde Smith, he's a mainline Church of Christ guy. He wrote a book, something like Hard questions for Calvinists, something like that. That's really good. Um, but that's that's 
those books are more going after you know showing that predestination is not involved with God choosing what who goes to heaven and hell. They they don't spend as much time explaining the historical analysis of how uh, American evangelicalism rose out of Calvinistic Christianity. Uh, I'm I'm currently writing a version of a book on that. Uh, uh, send me a, uh, an email and I'll try to give you some references there. Okay. Yes. How many of these portraits of Jesus or, or figures of Jesus, if any, uh, are in-house discussions, meaning you can still become a Christian but hold on to uh, some of these Well, views. none of this is going to be controversial at all. So you, you, you're talking about the 11 Jesuses, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, how uh, accurate a grasp do we have to have of the nature of Christ and his relationship to the Father and the Holy Spirit and be saved? Uh, uh, I would say probably you, you could be pretty far off and still be saved. Okay? But please don't use that as an excuse to not as you mature as a Christian because, yeah. Um, so, and by the way, in the very early church, in the primitive church, there was a really wide range of theology that was accepted in the church without people getting kicked out. And, and it was only when they insisted that everybody agree with them or use their vocabulary when they became divisive. Only when they became divisive did uh, the church have to start kind of anathematizing them. There you go. All right, so I would say we don't need to uh, have a, a 10-hour theology class before somebody gets baptized. I mean, oh. Jesus died for my sins. Man. He's God. He was raised from the dead. Yeah. We're good to go. Yeah, so I think you raise a good point, which is that uh, some of these things are not fine details at all. The difference between Calvinism and real predestination, that's, that's, that's massive, you know, that's massive. All right, but uh, some of these, you know, the difference between modalism and a correct view, I would say, and I already said it, I think, that I'm not sure this is a salvation issue. But I sure want to get it right, because if you have it wrong, that's going to give you a skewed view of God, which that's a problem over time. Yes, I was sitting next to you. I just want to make sure I'm clear, because I really do want to study the sound book. Uh -huh. The foreknown versus the predestination. Oh, uh, yeah. So you didn't, maybe you said it, but I just didn't understand it. I mean, it might be ignorant too, but is choice the... The, like the, the common denominator between the two or his choice, does that make the difference to why they both work or don't work? Alright, so, the thing is, if I know something is going to happen, does that mean I caused it to happen? Mm. No. So that's what we're talking about. But the, the, but the point is, for human beings, we don't have either. <laughs> we don't either know or cause, so it, it, it's easy for us to get confused. All right, and so for the idea that God knew without predetermining, that doesn't feel logical to most people. I would say this, Calvinism is much more logical than Christianity. It's very logical. It's a perfectly closed loop. It's just not true. All right, so I don't know if I answered your question. Oh, that's awesome. All right, yes. All right, now, who would you say Jesus' teaching? Or is it someone equipped? I mean, someone equipped, or communism or socialism? 
No, no, no. I said. No, I'm asking. All right. Uh, all right. You're asking me to do what I said I don't want to do. So I'm not going to do it. Seriously. I'm going to try to sort of kind of do it because you asked me to. I'll give you an example. So I was in China, in mainland China, and with a, a campus group. And by the way, in China, they have spies in the church. It's a fact. In fact, I believe in Guangzhou, there was a couple that said, by the way, just so you know, they found out they'd been a spy the whole time. They went through the studies, and they were part of the church just so they could spy for the government of the church, all right? So this student asked, what do you think about communism in China, the Communist Party? Oh, there's a trap that I... Whoa! Alright? And so... So I, I gave kind of a nuanced answer. I said, first of all, you have to understand, I'm, I'm American. So my perspective, I would say, I look at China before the Communist Party came in. I look at what it was like, and I say, uh, I'd rather live in the China after communism than before, honestly. All right? Uh, uh, but I happen to believe in human rights, and I, I, I'm bothered by the fact that human rights are not there. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, I, I, can, I can see, for example, the idea of people having a less division and wealth as being more consistent with maybe a Christian view of things. All right? As opposed to be ridiculously wealthy people and extremely poor people. Jesus said the poor will always have with you. You know, so I... I I'm not going to take a stand on capitalism versus <clears throat> communism. Right. Now that is I would say if you look at the very early church, you can decide for yourself what that was more like. That's true. Mm-hmm. For what it's worth. Oh, right. Right. Uh, uh, capitalism is not equivalent to Christianity. Oh, my goodness gracious. Far from it. All right. Um, so you can kind of see where I'm going on that one, but I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Because, first of all, I'm, I, I don't want to say it. I shouldn't, shouldn't say it. Okay, got it? Uh, yeah, and the whole political thing. You know, are, are you more like, is morality your important thing or social justice your important thing? That kind of determines which party you drift toward. But, you know, whatever. There's no Christian party, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness. So, anyway, next question. I'm going to veer away from politics. Yes? Like what you know between two, what is Catholicism and Christianity? Uh, Catholicism is as much Christianity as any other kind. Uh, Catholic bashing is a problem. Uh, it's so easy to, I mean, th- this is not a, a Christian approach, really. I mean, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use four really, really fancy words. Forgive me, but I'll define them for you, okay? There's orthodoxy and heterodoxy. Orthodoxy is correct teaching. Heterodoxy is incorrect teaching. And then there's orthopraxy and heteropraxy. Orthopraxy is is correct practice. And heteropraxy is bad practice. And I would say the Reformation hugely improved the Catholic Church in the area of practice. So the, the Catholic Church was had, had a lot of heteropraxy, really bizarre practices that were not biblical. And so the Protestant movement turned towards orthopraxy. But the problem is it didn't turn towards orthodoxy. I believe Catholic theology is closer to biblical theology. 
than most Protestant theology. My opinion, Catholic theology, Roman Catholic theology, I, as a whole, is closer to biblical theology than most Protestant theology. So let's just stop making it as if the Catholics... Because Catholics say to me all the time, I'm not Christian, I'm Catholic. I say, why do you say that? You're, you're no more or less Christian than Protestants. Why are you saying that? I remember there was a, a Catholic theologian who, who we went back and forth online for, for years, many, many emails. And he, he says, you, you Protestants are wrong on this, 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 and this. And I say, first of all, I'm not Protestant. Second of all, I agree on every single criticism. But please stop labeling me as a Protestant. I'm a, I'm a Bible-based Christian, all right? And so, uh, so, nevertheless, I haven't answered your question. So a Catholic, by definition, is a person who submits to the papal authority and the authority of the, of the cardinalship and, and the, the, the Roman Curia. That's a historical thing. All right, so uh, there are a, a roughly four, maybe five, Groups that can honestly say they are original churches that can trace themselves back to the beginning. That's the Orthodox Church, the Coptic Church, the Jacobite Church, and the Catholic Church. All four of those, you, you can just you can draw a straight line from 30 A.D. to right now. Hmm. However, we, we we're not like that. You know, there, there's no straight line. Okay, so they they can properly say they they. They can argue that they're the true church because they're the ones who can... But history does not make you right. It, is, it just makes it history. And there's a lot of really, really bad history in there. Sure. Uh, and I, I would say that the thing to look at is this idea of sacramentalism, which is salvation is found not through Christ, but through the church. And so there's a lot of stuff I could say about Catholicism. But I don't really want a Catholic bash right here. So... Um, if you want me to define Catholicism, that is the, the religious system that acknowledges the papacy and the, the primacy of the church in Rome. Okay, I'm going to take about two more questions because we have to do our next class and we'll do another Q&A session. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're trying to help out. Number one and then uh, one of those over here. Go ahead. Um, so, I have a couple questions, but the one... Most that I think a lot of people want to hear is something. I was wondering if God and Jesus find that what we today call the LGBT community as a sin or like. Oh, you're asking if, if homosexuality is a sin? Yes. Yes, okay, that's an easy question. Because uh, yes, it's a sin. Okay. I mean, Romans uh, 1 pretty clearly. Labels in that as well as uh, as uh, Leviticus. Now, um, a person who feels an attraction—that's not sinful. I mean, I mean, I, I'm attracted to girls. Yeah. All right, and that's it's, you know. Now, I, I am faithful to my wife. Yeah. <laughs> I don't go. I'm having sex with girls just because they happen to be girls. Okay. So the fact that certain people, their nature is to be attracted to people of the same sex, that is not sinful in and of itself. It's what they do with that. And those, so there's choice. And so unfortunately, Christianity, especially Protestant Christianity, has tended to sort of label 
homosexuals as super extra sinful yeah. when the problem in their churches is adultery and pornography and premarital sex. So why are you going after those gay people? God, I'm sure Jesus would give a hug to a gay person as well as anybody else. But he said to the adulterous women, go and sin no more. Now, just because you can become a Christian, it's not like a magic wand and suddenly you're attracted to the opposite sex. It just doesn't work that way. If you expect it to work that way, then you're expecting wrong. Right. And, you know, sexual conversion therapies generally don't even work. Right. There's a reason that the state doesn't like that. All right? And so, uh, I would say... Op- Every sex that occurs outside of marriage is sinful. And whether it's homosexuality or heterosexuality, I'm not going to label one more sinful than the other. I do think homosexual behavior is particularly difficult. It is particularly damaging. Certain sins are, uh, tend to be more chronic and harder to, to deal with than others. Uh, all right? But I, I'm se- sexual addiction just... Yeah. Pornography, oh my goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah. That, I mean, pornography is rampant in your church. I tell you right now, it, it is. I, I know it is. I know it is. Especially in those under 30. So let's talk about that. All right, uh, next question. What's that? Right. That's in Revelation 1 or Revelation 5? Which one? Uh, Revelation 1. Okay, yeah. How do I make that? Like my sister? You don't explain it. It's just an image. That's, that's apocalyptic language. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this is just, you know, whatever John saw, he's describing it the best that he can. All right, so... I would say to get caught up into the imagery that's used, you know, the white horse and the red horse and, and all this sort of stuff, you're just going in totally the wrong direction. All right? I would say, let's just get the picture. Uh, think of Revelation as kind of like, um, not a comic book, like a graphic novel. <laughs> Revelation is kind of like a graphic novel. It's very, it's very much teaching through pictures rather than through like doctrinal that. statements. Like yeah. So we have a picture of Jesus. What do you get from that picture? Jesus is awesome! And he's got, he doesn't literally have a sword sticking around. Come on, come on. But one thing I know is, you know, his, you know when he speaks, that's powerful stuff. So it's imagery, and, and trying to make it literal is really kind of silly. So if somebody's trying to over-literalize it, uh, possibly it's just they need to be informed that that's what uh, what apocalyptic literature is about. It gives some examples. And I've got a book back there by uh, Gordon Ferguson on the book of Revelation. You might want to pick it up. If you go to my website, there's a 12-hour class on Revelation with PowerPoints and notes and all that sort of stuff. Okay? Uh, I'm going to take your question afterwards, okay? Sorry about that. because We have to do our next class. Let's go.